horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right. Well, we'll welcome back. I hope you're all in a safe place and kind of enjoying the rhythm of the racing scene as uh, we're we're beginning uh, to get out of a trot and into a gallop uh, towards that first weekend in May uh, down at Churchill Downs. And uh, so we'll be covering some, uh, some prep races with none other than Matt Bernier. Now, if you've been listening to this show, you know I've had Matt on for years, but I'll tell you what, his meteoric rise uh, has just been sensational. Uh, you know, he went from the, the television show Horse Players uh, to uh, working uh, with uh, DRF.com, and now he's moved up the ladder. He's doing television broadcasts with NBC, NBC Sports, ESPN, and what he's got, what you want is the Matt Bernier Show. It's easy to find on YouTube, and it is sensational. I can't believe I didn't find it earlier. I was just up there looking around one day. More often than not, I got you know stuff on there with you know Rod Serling, Groucho Marx, you know George Carlin, <laughs> the people I click on the most, and uh, and of course uh, racing history uh, broadcast. But uh, all of a sudden, I see the Matt Bernier show. I'm like, where have I been? And it's just it's really great. You are gonna love it. The, the there's it's total upside it, it's matt by himself for the most part he does have guests on uh, but it's he's just in his home in a casual manner uh, but sometimes he addresses some uh, topics pretty specifically and you know with, with his own opinion and uh well, just go over and look at it i'm not going to sell you on it we'll be talking to matt and he's going to help us out with uh, you know a couple derby preps for sure, uh, one being the Withers from Aqueduct and um, the other boy race, the Sam Davis. We might get to a couple Oaks preps. We'll see how time goes by. And our second guest, she's been on before, uh, known her for decades, uh, Patricia P.J. Cooksey, uh, who started, and we got talking this week, and I found out some things about her I never knew. And like I said, I've known him for decades, is that she started out riding races as an 11-year-old at the Canfield County Fair near Youngstown, Ohio. (laughs) Oh, you got to get that story. It's great. And of course, eventually uh, she went on to become the first woman to ride in the Preakness Stakes, and eventually she became the first uh, leading uh, uh, woman jockey uh, before uh, Julie Crone came along. So uh, we'll be talking to PJ about past, present, and see what she's uh, doing now. She's still in the racing game, but not on horseback. All right, well... If you were listening to the show last week, you missed the live event because we were up against the 2020 Eclipse Award and Authentic was voted Horse of the Year in a landslide. Uh, 
you know, what, what can I say? The base son of Into Mischief was also voted the champion three-year-old. What a season he had. Don't forget, he's owned by about uh, 5,000 people through the My Racehorse Stable, uh, in addition to Starlight Racing and Spendthrift Farm. So, uh, uh, authentic slam dunk, no doubt about it. And then uh, Brad Cox. Louisville native got his first Eclipse Award as Outstanding Trainer. He was a finalist in 2019, uh, but boy, what a year he had. Uh, he was uh, second in overall trainer earnings with more than $18.9 million. He won 30 graded stakes races and tied the record for most wins at one Breeder Cup by a trainer with four of them. In last year's, though I would say this year's, uh, World Championship, uh, Monomoy Girl, uh, uh, who earned her second Eclipse Award, is, is, is trained by him. Uh, so anyhow, we'll, we'll go down, down the list. And uh, horses that we're going to start seeing now uh, on their trail to either the Oaks or the Derby, uh, Essential Quality, undefeated he was the vote of the champion two-year-old male and the champion two-year-old philly was vquest who is going to take on her rival day out of the office i believe in the Devonna dale coming up in a couple weeks down at gulfstream park so the third uh, baffert trained runner to capture an eclipse award of course he trained authentic uh was gamine who was voted the champion female sprinter and man, was she fast and looked good when she was at the races. Um, uh, and then the champion male sprinter was Whitmore, seven-year-old gelding. I believe he's raced in the Breeders' Cup four times, and he got it this year as a seven-year-old. Um, of course, uh, no surprise here. Irad Ortiz Jr. continued his dominance of the outstanding jockey category, taking it for the third straight year in a row. So uh, going back to another uh, veteran like Whitmore, uh, six-year-old channel maker earned champion turf male honors, and the ever-consistent rushing fall uh, captured the turf female Eclipse Award. And then uh, Windstar Farm got Outstanding Breeder. My God, when you look at their stallion roster, it is something else. And uh, so uh, they, they were Outstanding Breeder. And the new kid on the block, Alexander Crispin, was named the Outstanding Apprentice Jockey by a five-vote margin, margin over Yara Maria Correa. I've had a chance to uh, meet her and actually go out and have a couple beers up at uh, Thistledown. She is quite she, – she was a professional football player in her native Puerto Rico. She showed me some videos. It's pretty awesome. But either way, congratulations uh, to Alexander Crispin. He got the job done. Okay. It was only about a week or so ago we had Senator Damon Thayer on uh, from Kentucky and so far so good with the historical horse racing bill. It was uh, came out of the Kentucky State Senate, thumbs up. So we've still got steps to go, but this was a very important, important one. They inserted just one paragraph, changing the definition of paramutual wagering into the existing state statute that did not move forward uh, the last time it was before uh, the uh, state Senate. So, uh, so many people have come out in favor of this. Uh, and it's such a win-win proposition for both the state of Kentucky uh, 
on so many levels. First of all, jobs, taxes, the existence of certain tracks. I mean, we, we'd be down to, to Keeneland and Churchill Downs. If this doesn't go through, I mean, I'm not saying that's, you know, in cement, but that's the way it's kind of looking. So uh, congratulations on the historical horse racing. All right. Well, Todd Pletcher seems like every time we turn around, he's another – milestone ahead and he became the first trainer in north american racing history to surpass the four million dollar earnings mark on saturday congratulations to todd pletcher and congratulations to my friend john court he's been a guest with us several times uh he not only uh, uh won a nice stake at oak lawn park but he got Jockey of the Week. Folks, he ain't slowing down. John's 60 years old now. He recorded his 34th stakes victory and a 689th career victory at Oaklawn Park, mind you. This doesn't include uh, many of his wins uh, in Kentucky. So he he's our Jockey of the Week. What a great guy. Uh, lifetime, uh, he's had over 34,000 mounts and has won total purses of 108,000. All right, let's get back to some of the races last week before Matt comes on with us. Uh, of course, uh, one that I, I was listening to his input on the, uh, the Matt Bernier show, it was the Robert B. Lewis three-way photo. But the winner, one game horse, Medina Spirit. By the way, Matt does a great job at breaking this race down uh, over on his podcast. You should check it out. Went off at even money, led, was challenged by two horses the whole way, but just kept digging in and held on by uh, ooh, a head over Roman Centurion and Hot Rod Charlie. Uh, this horse has been really good since uh, Doug O'Neill switched it uh, to blinkers. All right, and then the Holy Bull, uh, the winner in here. I was very impressed with this horse. Greatest honor, Suge McGahey. Uh, by Tappet, some others, Tiffany Honors, a half to rags to riches. Uh, it was a pretty easy win, uh, so he's definitely on uh, the the Derby trail. And this horse just seems to get better and better as the distances get longer. Then we went to the Claiborne Farm Swell, and the winner in here is Drain the Clock. Now, the, the Derby nomination list came out today, and I've got a copy of it. Drain the Clock is not nominated to the Kentucky Derby. Got off to a quick start and pulled away in the stretch. Went by six and a quarter over two horses and long shots. I wish the list was out before <laughs> this race. I could have looked at it. Uh, uh, King's Ovation rallied at 36 to 1 for the second spot over Ultimate Badger at 19 to 1. And both of those horses are nominated to the Triple Crown. Then uh, the Martha Washington, tip my hand a little bit in this one, with John Court in the saddle, Will's Secret, uh, trained by Dallas Stewart and uh, owned by Willis Horton, a son of Will Take Charge, who Mr. Horton also uh, owned, uh, got the job done in the Martha Washington, which was an Oaks Point race and was uh, nowhere near the favorite. The favorite was number three, Coach, who ended up finishing second. And the third spot was Joy's Rocket. Uh, then we looked at the uh, Swedish Chant, the winner in there, White Frost, off about nine to two, needed a hole. Nice ride by Junior Alvarado and found the hole and got through to last over Con Lima. Then the the uh, grade three forward Gale, 
And the winner in there, Zajil. No surprise there, folks. It was another Todd Pletcher trainee making only her second start. One more result, and we'll get on to Matt. Uh, the winner of the One Mile Turf Kitten's Joy was Chess's Dream, uh, Florida bred daughter of Jess's Dream. Hug the rail and slip through with Tyler Gaffleone. All right, that's a look at the latest news, our recaps from last week, and in just a minute or two, we're going to get to talk to the man that invented and drives the Matt Bernier Show, none other than Matt Bernier himself. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll free. 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me now, a guy that's been with us several times over the years, and it's it's just been great watching him, uh, you know, move up the ladder with the positions and the respect he gets in racing right now uh, to go from uh, just one, one of the many, I won't call them actors, but subjects on, on horse players and then moving into the racing form. I thought that was a huge step. It turns out that was just one more step, and, and now he's on the major television broadcast uh, with NBC. And when it switches over to NBC Sports, he's on ESPN as a handicapper and analyst. With no further ado, I want to introduce the guy that is now hosting the Matt Bernier Show. That would be none other than Matt Bernier. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, John. How are you? I'm fine. I'm doing real fine now that I've got you on the show. Well, uh, I I, want to start out, if you don't mind, um, with the Matt Bernier show. I I can't believe I came in late to the game. Uh, You know, I don't know, maybe because I've got other priorities on 
um, you know, uh, YouTube. Uh, most of them are just things that I watch for relaxing. And all of a sudden, I look up one day and I see your logo. By the way, great cartoon, whoever did that, or <laughs> meme, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm like, Matt's got a show. So I just started going back through them. And, oh, you know, like I said, it's just like sitting in the living room with you and talking face to face. And that's kind of what the, the genesis of the whole thing was. You know, I had initially started it when I was still with the daily racing form, but this time around within the money media, I, I just wanted it to kind of stay along the lines of if you were sitting at the OTB or at the racetrack or at the bar, just chopping it up with friends, I just kind of wanted it to be more conversational as opposed to really, you know, having it be some giant presentation of things. And well, I think there are, uh, there's a time and place for that sort of thing. I, I, for this instance, I feel like it's best when it's just kind of going back and forth and saying, you know what, this is what I think. These are my observations. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them, that's entirely up to you. That's what makes this game so fun. So at least if I can put some things out there, get some people who are listeners or viewers that maybe they don't have a giant platform to be able to kind of get their opinions out. We try to do that with the little Friday feature where we go over a race and have a guest on and basically they're the ones in control and they make the selections and then we open it up as a little bit of a mini contest within a week so i just i like the idea of trying to keep it as sort of level-headed as possible and and again there are going to be certain topics that warrant a little bit more sort of serious conversation than others but for the most part i just i'd like it to stay sort of in the the vein of let's just sit down and chop it up a little bit and have some fun well, it reminds me of a show uh, long ago before you were there called The Regular Guy from River Downs. And that was the whole concept. I sat there with a cigar and a beer and a guest from, well, luckily we weren't far from Lexington. And we'd bring guests up or we'd have, uh, you know, pers- race personalities and things like that. And it was just two people talking horses, bringing it in, you know, just like you were, like you said, an OTB parlor at a racetrack, comparing notes, you know, not a competition, just talking about it. And then we, we would use the overhead and we would use something that you did last week uh, with uh, the uh, Robert B. Lewis, it was, and we had a telestrator and we would bring people through horses last performances. And you do it now, is your uh, weekend breakdown, is that every Monday? How does your schedule go? Yeah, so the podcast comes out. I usually record it every Monday. It's either uploaded Monday night or early on Tuesday to YouTube. But if you're someone who just listens to the podcast, it's basically available that Monday night everywhere, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's all over the place. So that's kind of the time frame of it. I don't do a preview anymore like I used to just simply because, you know, I, I'll leave that to the powers that be. There are many other ways to find previews and things like that. I think the timing of this we can get a little bit of a preview of what's to come that are coming Friday with one of the guests. But as far as the racing the week prior, I think that's, to me anyway, I think that's the, the sort of biggest benefit that I could have to, to folks that are going to go through handicapping. You can hear my opinion in other places, but if we can kind of go back and get a little bit of a head start for when these horses eventually come back in their next starts, that to me is the not only one of the more important pieces, but one of the more enjoyable spots trying to project what these horses are going to do down the road. Well, you know, and you're acting as an ambassador of racing when you do things like breaking down the Robert B. Lewis because you were teaching people, now let's watch this horse, you know. Here, stop. You see his ears? Now, right now, he's just kind of 
doing what the Jackie wants him to do, and he's just going along. All right, let it roll. You let it roll, and we, we watch Medina Spirit, and all of a sudden you stop it again. You go, all right, check it out now. He's business. He's got his ears forward. He knows company's coming. And I must say, that was a gutsy effort by Medina Spirit. He didn't win by much, but he got the job done. I, I thought for sure they were going by him. And, and that's the kind of race, and, and I said it in my podcast last week in that very video, that you know it's a, it's a polarizing result because I feel like you either loved the race or you hated the race because we're so conditioned to seeing blanket finishes and dirt races typically indicate a uh, less than stellar race, but at the same time, if you were on the flip side of it and you actually liked the race, you're sitting there saying, Medina Spirit not only dealt with the other speed early on and put them away, but he ran a little bit greenly and he held off two other horses who both had their reasonable credentials coming into it, but also had the run of the race as far as the pace went. So that's the race to me that of the three last weekend, or the two, if you want to include the Smarty Jones from the week prior, those are the races that I, I think are going to be the ones that you look back on in time, and there's no way to know right now. All we can do is, is wait and see what the races ultimately unfold as. But th- that's the kind of race that you'll go back six, seven, eight weeks from now and either say this is the race that's going to produce major three-year-olds for not just the Derby, but over the course of the summer, or we'll look back and say, hey, you know what, race wasn't all that good. Very exciting, but might not have been the most productive. And, and again, that to me, from a handicapping standpoint, that's the most enjoyable aspect of this entire game. Well, uh, kudos to uh, Medina or Medina. There's a Medina, Ohio. That's why I say it. Um, because the horse was taken. It was First of all, he's only making his third lifetime start in a grade three. And, uh, it, but he was also going from a mile to a mile in 16th. So he showed a little more ability to, to stretch out. So it, it'll be fun watching him down the road. But uh, I don't know about you, but I like this time. It's kind of like we just put the coals on the grill and it's time to heat it up. And things are starting to heat up and racing. And, and this is an exciting time of the season. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of if you're a fan of you know any real college athletics, whether it's hockey or basketball or football, where early on in the season you've heard about these prospects, but until they actually go up and show up in a game and perform, that's when you actually get to see, like, okay, well, maybe we do have something here. And, and I feel like that's sort of the time frame that we're in right now. You hear about these, these horses that are in the barns, and maybe they weren't quite ready as two-year-olds, or maybe they only started one time, but everybody involved believes that they could be something bigger and better. And again, kind of making that analogy to the college athletics, you hear about these top recruits coming in, they look great, but you never really know until they do it. And then when you see them do it, that's when you kind of get excited and you think, okay, maybe this is one who could end up being something. I, I feel like that's, that's exactly the season we're in with horse racing right now leading into Louisville. It, it is. It, it's exciting. Um, I, I wanted to ask your measure on a, a, a topic that I've asked most of my handicapping guests. Hey, this is the first season we're going through it, and that is – in these races leading to the Derby and the Oaks, horses are not allowed to race on Lasix if they want their points. And has this influenced your handicapping? And have you seen it influence the outcome of any races? No, I, right now, I, I don't think I personally have factored it in. And I really haven't seen a dramatic difference one way or the other, simply because I feel like Many of these horses, even as two-year-olds, if the connection's really, truly believed, 
they were going to be bigger and better down the road. And to be honest, all two-year-old racing, for the most part, was LASIKs-free anyway. So you're looking at a lot of these horses who have never even raced on LASIKs. You'll occasionally get one of those, you know, I, I'm just looking at the PPs for one of the Saturday races. There's a Pletcher horse in the Sam F. Davis who had run with LASIKs on at one point earlier this year. Sure, the LASIKs coming off, perhaps that'll end up making a difference. But for the most part, the vast majority of the field has never run on LASIKs to begin with. So I, I, this isn't the kind of category of horse that it concerns me with. I'm more concerned about the types of horses that are considerably older, let's say four, five, six years old, who have raced on LASIKs for the better part of their entire career. What happens when they come off LASIKs? Because it's one thing with these inexperienced runners who have never, ever had that introduced to their system. The other thing for these other old war horses who have been out there a million times, well, what happens when you take that away? I think that's when things can get a little bit dicey and you're unsure what you're going to get with these early season races with the three-year-olds. It's really not something I'm factoring in at this point. Right. And for our audience, it, it is, it's not every graded stakes race. Uh, 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 first of all, yes, it is for the, if you want Derby and Oaks points, but for the older horses, um, that's kind of the choice of the region that they're racing in. And if that, if it's a rule of that track, then you've got to go by it. And obviously, uh, you know, the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland and things like that, that, that you know, didn't stop Whitmore. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you make a good case because, uh, you know, they, they've been used to it. It's part of their game day tradition. And uh, also when they get to the top of the stretch, if they feel something different, they might just put the brakes on a little bit and go, whoa, I haven't felt like this before I ever had Lasix. But I digress. I, I just wanted to ask you uh, uh, about that. And, and I, I, I gave a great answer. Well, uh, you know, while I got you, I got to tap into your handicapping uh, skills. And we do have four points races. We'll see how many of them we get to. We'll start to the, we'll start with the two derby races this weekend, uh, starting with the Withers. I mean, this race goes back to 1874. I mean, it, Sir Barton and Manowar won the Rivers. And a little more modern day, uh, you know, the, the outstanding uh, Grey Ghost uh, uh, native dancer uh, won it in 53, and the legendary Dr. Fager won it in 67. So th- this is a legit race. Now, it, it, it hasn't been eye-knocking lately, but it's got a lot of history to it. And um, the other thing you commented on uh, that I want to throw out there is handicapping Without a program. By program, I mean without the odds makers morning line odds. And quite frankly, I've been doing that for years. I try to download the races as quick as I can because usually if we do them closer to race day, the numbers are in there. And I try not to influence it. So just like you said, it's kind of fun to handicap a race and then go back and say, well, how did I line up with the track man in here? Um, And uh, so. In the withers, there's two horses that I got to check by, and I'm probably missing the most obvious one. Um, but the, the the first would be risk taking. A Chad Brown trainee that seems to get better every race and gets better as the distances go out. He threw blinkers on the last time. The horse got a great wake up call at Aqueduct, where he's going to race on Saturday. He's one for one there, and he's one for one at the distance. And the the other horse is uh, this Capo Kane. Um, who's two for two going long because it's the time of the year where a lot of these horses are just stretching their legs out for the first uh, time. So uh, those are the two that kind of popped 
up a little bit to me, and I still haven't checked to see what their odds are. Uh, but the, after that, it's, it's pretty wide open, including the millionaire, if you factor that in, the horse that cost a million dollars, overtook. Matt Bernier, give me your input. Yeah, I mean, risk-taking to me represents the most likely winner of the race for Chad Brown, just simply because of the reasons you alluded to. Uh, not only is proven over Aqueduct's main track, but proven at the mile and an eighth. And if you go back and watch that tape, he finished very, very powerfully. He's the kind of horse that I think you want to give a few bonus points to, specifically in this race, but just in general at this time of year. He's already gone nine furlongs. That's something many of these horses are trying two turns for the first time, let alone nine furlongs. So I think he gets a little bit of bonus points there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes off as a relatively heavy favorite when it's all said and done. Uh, if you're looking for a little bit of a, perhaps a better price, and he's going to get a, a proper acid test here. But the number two royal number for Mike Trombetta, he's an interesting case because you go through his career thus far, I think two of his better races, granted, two of his best races, his only wins, have come with Lasix on. He won't have Lasix on Saturday. Having said that, I think two of the better races he's run have actually come going two turns as opposed to the one-turn configuration. One of them was the most recent victory down at Laurel. He opened up and won for fun. Uh, he did have a beautiful trip that day up the inside, but all things considered, he finished really well. And then the run three starts back. You know, he may have finished third beat and a half length. He was incredibly un- unlucky to win that, to not win that day, excuse me. You know, I thought he was shuffled on the far turn. He was loaded in behind the wall of horses down the lane. He eventually was able to tip out and finished well. I think that race is even better than it looks. So he's 6-1 to one on the morning line. I don't know if he's as likely a winner as a horse like risk-taking, but the number two royal number would be one I would at the very least consider if you're playing exactors and trifectas. Well, we usually are, and I always appreciate your input. Uh, that, what's more, as a reminder, folks, is the Withers uh, at Aqueduct. It's going off at 425 on Saturday. Then the other boys' points race, and uh, this is the last of the races with the training wheels. We're, we're going to start to get get into the serious ones in the weeks ahead, but nonetheless, 10 points is 10 points. Mile on the 16th, the Sam F. Davis, uh, a race that pretty much Todd Pletcher has owned over the years. I think he's won it six times, but Matt, we got a big field. It'll, it'll be very interesting to see what shakes out. Again, not, not working with any odds, but the, the, the two or three that came to my mind, it the one that comes to my mind, I'll just name one horse, Known Agenda. Uh, it looks like Pletcher's been pointing to this race, and he certainly has done it in the past. And, and I feel like Known Agenda is going to be the horse that's probably most heavily back at the windows. If for no other reason, yes, Todd Pletcher is obviously going to attract money, Johnny V as well. You take a look at the run two starts back when he broke his maiden at Aqueduct at nine furlongs. He defeated a horse called Greatest Honor, who obviously we yeah. know what he did last weekend in the Holy Bull. So maybe you want to give him some bonus points. Actually, if you haven't seen the tape of that race, I know it was a few months ago, so maybe it doesn't necessarily play this weekend, but phenomenal horse race. Those two hooked up at the top of the lane and dueled the entire way down at Aqueduct back in November. I digress a little bit. I think he's a likely winner. I, I just I wanted to give, I don't want to call him a wild card, but the number nine Candyman Rocket for Bill Ma, I thought he was really impressive breaking his maiden albeit going six furlongs in his most recent start in early January at, at Gulfstream, broke really alertly, but then very quickly came to hand beneath John Velasquez that day, was able to sit off of a target. And when he finally took over, he drew off and won really, really impressively. You know, I don't know ultimately what his pedigree is going to suggest he really wants. He may end up being a horse that wants to go shorter. 
I, I still tend to believe at this time of year, a mile and a 16th for any of these horses who have any sort of, I, without sounding callous, remote sense of ability at this level, I still feel like they can more or less get that mile and a 16th. So I wanted to give him a little look. I don't believe at all you're going to get the 10 to 1 morning line. I think he probably is sort of the wise guy horse, 7 to 2, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, but he's the only other one that I was really, truly intrigued by outside of known agenda, the number nine Candyman Rocket. Candyman Rocket. Candy Ride, who I, I checked the uh, current uh, 2021 stallion list, and uh, he's in a four-way tied for being the top stallion. And uh, and Bill Mott, you know, no, I'm, I'm sorry, my eyes. Uh, yeah, Bill Mott's got a couple of them in here, but uh, certainly, uh, Matt, that's that's great. He won't get Johnny V, but uh, he sure came out running a bang-up race last time. Well, we still got a couple minutes. You, you, you want to look at some of the girls' races? Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's go to uh, the Las Virginas. Uh, $200,000, Phillies and Mayors, obviously. Uh, I'm sorry, Philly three-year-old, obviously. A uh, flat mile. And this has really uh, been a legendary prep race for big races, particularly at Churchill Downs. I mean, you, you've got horses that have won this race. Uh, light, light, uh, 95 with Serena's Songs, 2007 Rags to Riches, Blind Luck, who went on to, to win the Oaks. How, how, about, how about these last two? Beholder and Songbird have wins in the Las Virginas on their resume. Yeah, I mean, it really has been an unbelievably productive race. And, you know, I always maintain speed going two turns on dirt at Santa Anita is a major, major asset. It puts you way ahead in the grand scheme of things. Having said that, you know, a horse like Calypso for Bob Baffert, she does have speed and she figures to be forwardly placed. But I start to get leery with horses like this because through five lifetime starts there, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of improvement. She's, she's running well, but from a speed figure standpoint, she really hasn't gotten any faster. Meanwhile, the two horses who are probably going to come from slightly off of it, the number one Mraz and the number three Moonlight Doro, you know, it's hard to, to ignore the fact that they both have won going two turns that they've both won from off the pace, which I think is something that you want to give a bit of a feather in the cap for both of them. Mraz was really impressive breaking her maiden in the most recent run. She did have a dream set up, two horses dueled on the front. She took over and won for fun. I would be remiss not to mention that she was humbled by Moonlight Doro in her most recent start at Los Alamitos. That was on December 13th. Moonlight Doro went off and won by the length of the stretch almost. The big thing for me, the two horses that ran second and third behind her, Mraz, who we just talked about, she came back and broke her maiden with a 79 buyer. Frosteria, the second-place finisher, she came back and earned a 78. So the form of that race has been flattered. It's Richard Mandela, Flavian Pratt. This is the same jockey-trainer combo that teamed up with Paradise Woods a few years ago, who was a very, very talented filly. Um, I'm going to lean toward Moonlight Doro. She's not going to be any kind of great price. She's probably going to be odds-on. But I have a funny feeling she's the goods, and I, I think we might be hearing a lot more from her in the months to come. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Let's go on. Uh, before we talk to one of my favorite Phillies, Patricia Cooksey, uh, let's go on back to Tampa Bay Downs. Uh, oddly, it's it's not uh, graded, but it's the $150,000 Suncoast. And I'll tell you what, Matt, I'm still scratching my head. I, I couldn't zero in on any Philly in this field. It's, it is a fun race. I don't think you have any sort of standouts in here, at least to this point in their lifetimes. You've got a lot of horses who live in that sort of mid-70 buyer range. 
And look, they're still lightly raced. There's room for improvement, no doubt about it. I was I kind of look at the cash run from Gulfstream Park on New Year's Day as the key race, in my opinion, for this race here. And between the two horses, the one-two finishers, Gulf Coast and Honor Rafik, I'm actually going to lean toward Honor Rafik, who was the runner-up that day at Gulfstream. For Eddie Keneally here, Johnny V takes the mount. The third-place finisher behind the top two fillies in that race was a next-out winner with a 70 buyer. But Honor Rafik, the way that she ran that day at Gulfstream, she rallied from well off the pace at a one-turn mile. That's not an easy thing to do. One-turn miles at Gulfstream, typically you want to be more forwardly placed. You see the pedigree, honor code, feels like those horses, all of his progeny, they want to go long. If you can get something close to that 7-2, to two, I think that's a really, really square price on a filly who, in my opinion, it feels like longer is going to be better for her. I think she turns the tables on Gulf Coast. I'll go with the five honor of Feek in the Sun Coast. All right. Well, uh, we've been blessed with the presence of none other than Matt Bernier. And I'm telling you, folks, go to YouTube. Uh, you go to the Matt Bernier Show, and you will love it. Go ahead and just spend some time with Matt. There's no specific time. There's no commercials. You just feel like you're hanging out with a buddy. Matt, thanks a lot for hanging out with me for a while tonight on Winning Ponies. Absolutely, John. Anytime. All right, thank you very much. All right, quick break here, and we come back. One of my favorite fillies, none other than Patricia Joanne Cooksey. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. 
Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right. Well, there's kind of a theme to tonight's show, and that's people I met when they were young and up and coming that went on to become tremendous successes. That's the case with Matt Bernier, and that's the case with the person we're talking to right now, Patricia P.J. Cooksey. How are you? Hey, John. Hey, you know what? Thank you so much that you put me in the category of Phillies and not some old mare, you know? <laughs> no, you're still what you used to be. <laughs> <laughs> One of your favorite Phillies, so as long as, as, long as I'm, I'm in that standing, hey, I feel great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, we that was back, you were around in the days when uh, racing was fun, and I'm sorry to say that about the sport, but so many things have changed, and people are more isolated, and I don't just mean because of the COVID thing, there, there's a lot of people that are just out for themselves. Back then, racing was a little bit more of a family thing, unless somebody kind of ticked off PJ and uh, caught caught a right hook after a race, <laughs> she, she decided to be the steward in that case. I know of at least two incidents and there's probably more uh but uh what i did know we were just having a casual conversation before the show the other night was that you started out riding pony races as an 11 year old at the canfield county fair not far from your hometown of youngstown your father was a harness trainer can, can you just share that story with our audience i thought it was great well, you know, John, we, we talked about the county fairs, and then, uh, you know, I told you that I think the, the one county fair you talked about was like the, the number one county fair. I'm not sure where that was. but actually, actually, yeah, so Canfield Fair is like the second or third largest county fair in the United States, and that's where, as a child, I spent, we spent our summers. My parents would save all, all year long so that we can go and camp at the fair for, for the week right before school, and... Um, that, that was our vacation. So um, we'd get like $2 a day, and that's all we had to spend, you know, whether we got a Coke, a cotton candy, you know, a hot dog, whatever. And then um, but my, uh, the most part of my day that I spent at the fair was uh, um, on the uh, rail watching the, uh, the show ponies, watching all these kids ride their ponies into the show ring and, you know, just wishing and dreaming that I could have my own horse and be able to do this. And... Um, you know, it, it, it was such a great memory and everything. And then, uh, but but my dad was um, he had some horses as a, uh, a harness a harness driver and trainer, and so I got to spend a lot of time at the they call it a race barn, and uh, so I got to spend a lot of time around the horses. You know, um, when I was younger, and then um, the story that uh, that I told you the other night was uh, I was I was um, hanging around the uh, the little track there. It's a half mile track at the fair. And um, this lady pulled in with a bunch of ponies. And in between the uh, standard bird races, they'd have these pony races. And they'd have, you know, small kids, um, you know, younger kids get on these ponies, and they race them one time around. Well, the thing about that, now this is back in, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, late 60s maybe. <laughs> and, That's a, we don't, uh, we don't need to know. Uh, back in the day, we'll just say yeah, that. Yeah, back in the day. It was a while ago. And the thing about it, you know, they, you know, they, you know, everybody kind of have their side bets, you know, and that kind of thing. And they, you know, kind of hop these ponies up. And um, so this lady pulls in with um, all these ponies and I was kind of hanging out there and she saw me and she said, do you ride? And I was like, I looked around, I was like, yeah, yeah, I ride. <laughs> and um, she says, well, I got a couple ponies, you know, I'm racing. I said, I, she says, I need a rider. I said, okay. She says, well, bring me your permission slip and, um, you know, you can ride, ride the pony for her. 
So I got the permission slip, and I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I can ride a pony in the pony race. And he was like, no way, you know. Uh, I begged him, and just like, Dad, please, it would be so much. He's like, if your mom says okay, I'll let you do it. So I went to Mom, and I said, Mom, Dad said I can ride in the pony races. <laughs> and, um, you know, and she's like, what? You know? And uh, so finally she, she like, okay, and I went back to Dad. I said, Dad, Mom's, mom's good with it and everything. He was really hesitant because he knew – he knew the deal. These ponies, like I said, they were hopped up. They were wild. They were pretty crazy. And all they do is just <laughs> run as far and as fast as they can go. And uh, anyway, I got my permission slip signed. I went to a, um, I went to a, a kid and to borrow a helmet. We had to wear helmets. And I mean, this helmet wasn't anything better than like the little plastic construction helmets, you know. It was just not. And it was two sizes too big. So it kept falling over my eyes. So they laid me up on the pony, and, and the starts that they do is they just kind of keep spinning them around and until everybody kind of gets going in the same direction. And the best part about it, here it is, John, we were bareback. I mean, no saddle, just, just a bridle and bareback. Now, granted, you know, it's not like I was riding, you know, in my childhood. I mean, I didn't get to ride a whole lot, but I just kind of spent time around the harness barns. So here we are, bareback, getting legged up on these wild ponies, spinning around, and off they go. They turn us loose, and we're just kind of, you know, running around the, uh, running around the track. And, um, <laughs> and your helmet came over your eyes? <laughs> my helmet was over my I was holding my head back, and I, I swear, I've got the picture still. I've got my head back so I could see under my helmet. <laughs> because the helmet was down over my eyes coming coming past the wire. So it was like, it was so much fun. And, and um, so I got to ride one more race after that. Uh, it was, it was they, they, they came in like different sizes. And so the next race was like the bigger ponies. So I got to ride one of the bigger ponies. And we were coming around the home stretch around the last turn. The, um, my pony decided that he didn't want to run anymore. He made a right-hand turn to the gate at the top of the stretch. And I, there I was just a kicking and pulling and kicking. I probably weighed, I don't know, 96 pounds, you know. <laughs> and this pony wasn't going nowhere. He just came, he ran out to the gate and he stopped in the middle of the track and everything. And my dad, he about had a heart attack. He was like, that'll never happen again. That was my introduction to horse racing. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Well, from there, uh, you went on, you won your first race uh, at uh, what was then called Waterford Park. Waterford Uh, Park. Now it's Mountaineer. That was 1979. And you kind of gave yourself the nickname PJ, right? No, it was actually from from the clerk of scales there at, uh, at the Waterford. But let me tell you, I won, I won with my second mount, my first mount. I don't know if I should tell you this or not. Yes, This was yes. way back. Yeah. This was the good old days, John. So the trainer that wanted to put me on my first mount, you know, I'd been galloping horses for him, and he says, I got a mount for you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this other guy's like, no, I want to put you on the first one. So this other guy puts me on my first mount, going seven furlongs on the turf. Well, the horse had, like, no shot. And the other guy, uh, James, J- uh, Jimmy Williams, he said, don't ride that horse. But, you know, I wanted to ride. I put my pants on, and, oh, I can remember putting my silks on and getting ready and everything. Anyway, the horse, you know, ran up the track, and I just kind of wanted to jump off there at the middle of the stretch and uh, didn't finish anywhere. So the guy, uh, Mr. Williams, the guy that I've been that I've been galloping horses for, he finally puts me on this horse that he's kind of, that I've been getting on and galloping and everything. And we're in the paddock, and... Um, 
he laid me up and he looked at me. He goes, grab two handfuls of mane and don't you dare fall off. <laughs> it was kind of like, <laughs> this is my second mount. I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. So I grabbed two handfuls of mane. This horse left out of the gate like a shot. And I win by probably, I don't know, 12, 15, you know? I mean, just just going away. I thought I was something else. Well, so a legend was created. <laughs> but I didn't realize that the horse had had really a bad form up to that race. And so the stewards called him in. I didn't, I didn't realize this for, for like years later. Stewards called him in. They were like, how'd this horse run so good? And, uh, you know, he had a bad form up until the time I rode him. And then he, then he you know, wins by the length of the stretch. And, and Mr. Williams told the stewards, she's just too stupid to think that the horse wasn't sore or something, you know. Right. So, so, I think Mr. Williams walked out with a little pocket full of money, you know. So. Well, I, I guess where I was leading you on the PJ thing was you liked the fact that you were one of the leading riders at Waterford. And so guys that would ship in from out of town with a horse, they go, well, put me up on who's the leading rider. He said, PJ Cooksey. Well, they had uh-huh. no freaking idea you were a woman and you'd show up right. to the paddock and the guy'd look at you and go, who are you? He goes, <laughs> he said, John, you're, you're a girl. You go, yeah, I have been my whole life. <laughs> that was actually Kentucky. You remember, um, not Alan Tenenbaum, but his brother. He had a brother that, that was a clerk of scales. And um, it, it was actually when I got to Kentucky that I couldn't get mounts. And then he's the one that gave me the uh, the PJ and, and oh. helped me get mounts. It was Alan Tenenbaum's brother, Mark Tenenbaum. He yes. He was the clerk of scales. Yeah. That's when I came to Kentucky because I was getting ready to go back to West to Waterford Park, West Virginia, because I I couldn't I couldn't get any mounts here and I was real discouraged. I was like, you know, big fish in a little pond back there, and you know I couldn't buy a mount here. And then he said, "Well, let's try something." So that's when we put PJ Cooksey on the program, and he was able to help get me some mounts. So that was yeah. Cool. People didn't care about riding a girl as long as you were winning races. And, and then, then you went over to River Downs, and you really kind of cut yourself on a nice circuit with uh, River Downs. And I think it was early enough that it was still Latonia when you rode there. Oh, yeah, 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 it was. It was Latonia. And, you know, John, people ask me, they go, well, what, was the, what was your favorite track you ever rode at? Churchill, Keeneland? Nope. You know the favorite track I've ever ridden at and that I just really love was River Downs. Yep. That was my favorite track of all time. It was such a good surface. Horses loved it. I mean, the purses weren't any good. They were horrible. But, you know, I loved, I loved riding River Downs race, race course. It was, it was great. And, you, and we were all part of a team. I remember I would have the annual Cincinnati riding for the handicap come in, and you'd be right out there working with those kids. And, of course, if anybody knows PJ, her personality is over the top, uh, very engaging. And uh, the way you'd work with the kids and everything, it was just great. And we used to do stuff like that back then. You know, now it's oh, like, uh, no, I'm sorry, that's too dangerous, a liability. We can't do something like that. Liability. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. We don't we don't do a whole lot of things that we used to. We used to have uh, softball teams, you know, the jocks versus the ballots versus the front side versus the racing office versus, you know, and then we do uh, we we have bowling leagues in the wintertime. You know, we'd have a you know, like we'd have everybody would have like a team and we and we'd have a bowling league like on Tuesday nights or something. We all go, you know. Because, um, you know, I think Tuesday nights were dark type thing. And we Correct. had bowling leagues, softball leagues. I mean, that was, gosh, John, that was just the good old days. <laughs> 
I know it was, it was, but you know, I, I look at all the things you've done, um, aside from, you know, uh, being, being the top rider at several tracks and, uh, the first woman to ride in the Preakness stakes. And then, um, but I, but I think one of the most important, uh, honors, and I've talked to other jockeys about this. I'm like, what's the best honor? You, you, you know, you, you've won this and that, and they, they almost always pop up right away and say, the Mike Venezia Memorial Award, because that's an honor given annually to a jockey who exemplifies extraordinary sportsmanship and citizenship, and it's voted upon by your fellow riders. That That is probably one of the biggest honors that a rider can receive, because when your peers um, um, celebrate you like that, it's it, there's just there's just really nothing better, and um, I, I think I was the first female, and I think I've been the only female jockey that's won the Mike Benizi Award. And, you were. Uh, what I a checked. thrill that was! Yeah, going up to New York and accepting that award, and um, yeah, it, it, it was pretty special. I mean, all the awards and everything and accolades, you know, that I've been blessed with, that was certainly one of the uh, one of the, probably the top one on my list. Yeah. Well, uh, 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 BJ, I'm, I'm I'm out of two minutes to fo- post, and I'll tell you what, I'm 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 glad glad you're you retired out of the saddle, and uh, you you can still uh, still walk around. I know I visited you at more than one hospital over the years, and uh, so, <laughs> I still have but, my little thing. I still have my angel dish that you sent me with flowers. Johnson, do you really little planner? You know, with these little, had a little plant in it and flowers when I was in the hospital after I broke both my legs at Keeneland. And I got this little part, and, you know, and, and I had some other big flower bouquets from people. And that was lovely. It was beautiful. You know, those flowers died and while they were gone. Well, this little planter that uh, John sent me, it's, it's like an angel with a little thing. It, it, is, it is currently sitting on my sink and it holds like my dish rag and my, <laughs> my sponge and my. Oh, I remember you every time I washed my dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that warms my heart. It really does. It really does. Well, it's been fantastic uh, getting to know you and really just becoming friends over the years. And uh, I know you're still involved with the Kentucky Racing Commission. We can make that a whole nother segment and we will down the road. But either, either way, hey, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks for being on Winning Ponies. You know, I always wish you nothing but the best. And next time we go to, down to, to Georgetown, we're, we're, we're definitely going to stop by a tavern or a small restaurant if they allow it. Stop by. We'll play nine holes and we'll go have a couple beers, John. And let me tell you, it is always good to hear from you and talk with you, buddy. I really appreciate everything you do. All right. One of the best. Patricia Cooks, he was with us. One of the best guys in uh, racing, uh, handicapping and analyst. Uh, Matt Bernier was on. Uh, I just uh, I I can't thank everybody. We've had such great guests. And I want to remind you real quick before I got to go. The easy win forms. Racing's getting hot and we're getting hot. Just this afternoon, we had a one dollar super five that paid over twenty five hundred dollars. Go to winningponies.com and check us out. All right. For all of my guests, I'm John Engelhart. Thank you for listening to Winning Ponies. We love you, baby. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week. 
and may your photos always be winners.